As a diocesan priest in London, Ontario, for almost 30 years, Father Michael Béchard has overseen a variety of ministries, director of campus ministry, director of liturgy for the diocese, parish pastor. But Michael has always had a particular heart for those struggling with homelessness. As someone who has dealt with addiction to alcohol and prescription medications in his own life, he has an intimate understanding of the root causes that so often lead to homelessness and a passion to help those on the margins access mental health and addiction services. Father Michael Béchard is currently chaplain at Arc Aid Street Mission, an ecumenical outreach to those facing homelessness in London. He is also the founder and executive director of Northern Bridge Community Partnership, building lasting relationships between young people from Southern Ontario with youth from the Dene communities in Northern Alberta and the Northwest Territories. During Pope Francis's conciliatory visit to Canada in summer 2022, Michael became a familiar face on hundreds of thousands of television sets across the nation, helping add context and commentary throughout the Pope's stay. Our interview in fall 2022, while Michael was still deeply engaged in parish pastoring, reveals the tensions those in power often face about where to be giving their attention when there are so many people in need all at the same time. Where do good boundaries lie? How does one wrestle with experiences of power and powerlessness simultaneously? You know, there was a moment in my life when I sort of woke up as a young faculty member when I first found out, oh, I keep thinking of myself over and over again as David. And this person actually, in their version of the story that they're telling, they see me as Goliath. Now that's not how I picture myself, but that's their experience of me. And I didn't know if you've had an experience like that. I first realized um, the power that I had um, a couple of years ago when I was working in campus ministry and I was the chaplain at the college and the university and uh, was, was appointed ex officio on every committee because of my position. And I remember having a couple of my colleagues come to me beforehand, uh, before meeting in particular, and they they had asked if we could have a meeting before the meeting. And I, I said to them, I wasn't sure why we needed to do this. And they said, well, because your word and the decisions that you make or um, you know, the decisions that you want us to make are really gonna carry a lot of power. And I said, well, I, I, I don't see myself as being very powerful. And they said, Oh, but you are Blanche, you are powerful. And that was, um, it was a little bit humbling and then also a little bit scary um, because I, I never kind of saw that as being part of my role. I saw it really as being much more of one of support. Yeah, I guess I, I was um, unaware of the influence that I could uh, use until I was kind of in the midst of it. What is it that makes you most nervous when you hear me say that I see you as a person of power? I think the thing I'm most concerned about is um, is hurting someone. Um, that somehow what I've done, um, either because it's not been well thought out, um, or maybe because I've I've not spent enough time reflecting on the consequences, that someone could be hurt as a result of my actions. That's that's a little bit frightening for me. The other thing I suppose that you know, it's on a kind of a more ethical level, or maybe a more more spiritual level and maybe a little less self-seeking is that I'm afraid um, that sometimes I get in the way and that it's, you know, my agenda that's being served rather than God's agenda. And I really, I really want to be a good and faithful servant. 
I don't want to kind of create a, a cult of personality around myself. And I'm, I'm fearful sometimes that maybe the decisions that I make or the advice that I give um, could be kind of more in keeping with my needs, wants, or aspirations, or kind of my own unworked uh, or undealt with issues rather than kind of, you know, the issues of the person that's in front of me. Um, so how do you try to walk the straight road in the middle of that? Like, what do you tell yourself? Do a couple of things. Um, you know, I, I try to, to maintain uh, a healthy prayer life, you know, where I can sit in silence and, and um, simply allow kind of the, the thoughts and emotions to kind of wash over me and, and then to kind of sit with whatever's kind of resonating or kind of rising to the surface. So I, I, I try to discern um, God's will for me and God's will for us as a community. I've got a few people that I, um, I really trust. Doesn't necessarily mean that I'll, I'll, you know, will agree with everything that they do or they suggest, but there are people that I turn to for their advice or their wisdom. Maybe because they're older and have seen more than me, or maybe because they're younger and I just really appreciate their vision and their expertise. But I think the other challenge too is, or what do I do? You know, there's a number of nights where I've kind of, I've, I've crawled into bed at night and I'm kind of doing my exam. And like, I, I know that I, I tend to err on the side of mercy and compassion um, and probably more so in that direction than I do towards maybe ones of justice, if that makes sense. I sometimes wonder if I'm a little bit too kind. And I, and I know that probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh, maybe in providing counsel, I'm, I, I, I work really hard at kind of building people up, if that makes sense, so that they feel empowered to make good decisions. And there have been nights where I've kind of crawled in bed and said, you know, if I said something that was out of line or I was too easy and I didn't call people to conversion, please be merciful on me and be very, very kind to them because they're only doing what I asked them to do. It's funny when you're kind of willing to take it on the chin with the divine for somebody else, but it's a, I don't know how else to kind of go about doing ministry, right? That's what I would strive to do. I guess the other problem or concern that I would have though is um, sometimes, you know, power comes about as a result of, um, of privilege. And I'm, I'm always needing to kind of check my privilege to figure out, you know, how am I serving others? I'm a middle-aged Caucasian male that comes from a, you know, a lower middle-class family. And I've got four university degrees, super well-educated. I've been given all kinds of opportunities as a result of kind of my academic ability. And um, I got to keep that in check. One of the ways that some people have talked with me about power, I've begun to think about it is that it's not a particular action so much as it is, it's whatever magnifies the impact of the actions or the words that one takes. Another person could say the same thing, but there are certain things that magnify some people's words more than others. Then they end up just having more impact. I guess one definition of power is just kind of like that it's qualities that magnify impact. Is that the same thing as privilege or is that something different? I think with privilege, you could either be privileged in such a way that you engage further or you can exercise your privilege in such a way that you need to, that you're, you give yourself permission to kind of stay above the fray, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when it comes to, to privilege and to power, I think one of the things that makes a leader effective and where I've found kind of the most uh, affect 
working in a parish or a diocesan level, is a good leader and a, a person of power is uh, never going to ask someone to do what they're unwilling to do themselves, right? So I think in the exercise of power, a good leader or a person of power influence kind of wields that authority first and foremost, I think, by being um, a person who's actually engaged in the work. I think of some of the things we've started this year, you know, we've, we've got a weekly community meal, we've opened, opened up a community fridge and we're doing all kinds of different things for the kind of the poor and the needy. But I've, I've, I've tried to make it a priority to be there, you know, not necessarily my capacity as a priest. But, you know, when I was there last week, I was chopping parsley to put on the potatoes as garnishes. I mean, it was kind of a, a silly little job, but it was um, I needed to be there in the kitchen before I went out to mix and mingle with the rest of the folks. And how do you figure out the right balance between doing the one-on-one -on -one stuff and doing the big picture stuff? Well, I was preaching this weekend, you know, about going up to the margins and kind of being with people. And I had to bring a guy into my house last week, one of the guys that I sponsor. And um, I was detoxing at my house for a couple of days before I could get him admitted to the hospital. It's easy to talk about you know, taking care of the poor, taking care of the needy. And I can speak about it pretty eloquently, but when you're holding somebody's head up over the toilet and they're vomiting all over the place because they've drank all the hand sanitizer in your house, it gives the gospel a different face, right? I'm grateful that I'm able to do those things uh, for others, but I also know that I have to do them if I want my words to have any resonance. Yeah, because I think as a person power with it, with people watching how you're exercising it, it's always tricky to say, and now do I, now do I chop parsley? Now do I walk around? Now do I hold this guy's head up? There's just so many different possibilities for impacting at any one time. Yeah. And how- funny, This guy was, I'd have him restrained. He took a swing at me and I ended up on the ground and he was on top of me and I was on top of him. And then when we got him to the hospital, he hit two security guards and spit at a, at one of the custodians. I mean, it was brutal. So they sedated him and then they, they strapped him down to this bed and nobody could be with him. And I said, you know, I'm a sponsor and this is my background and I've been in the hospital. I've worked these rooms before. And I know this doctor and this doctor and Hey, I know you, you were in my class when you were in nursing school. So I, I was able to kind of use kind of my power and my privilege to kind of sit beside him, which was great. And I was able to advocate for him, which was great. And I was able to kind of hold his hand when he was scared. He was crying, which was great. But there was something like, he's really, really sick and he's in, in renal failure. And no matter how hard I try, um, I can't keep him sober. Uh, I can't make him well. And I can't restore his kidneys. So it's this weird spot where you can exercise some really, you can exercise some power and some authority and uh, use it for the good of others. But sometimes it only goes so far. And that for me has been the struggle in the last couple of days because I, I can't do everything that I want to do. It's the same stuff in the North, right? Like um, there are many needs and I can, I could talk about the needs in Northern Canada until the cows come home, but I'm just one person, right? I can, I can tell the story and I, maybe I can soften hearts and I can preach the gospel and invite people to partner in the mission of the church, but it's always going to be just drop in the bucket. So I find that sometimes just not just discouraging, but maybe frustrating or maybe a bit sad. What do you tell yourself in those moments? What parts of the tradition do you rely on, I guess, when you're 
realizing also that you're powerless against so much of the things that you're trying to make an impact on. I think I look back at the, um, you know, the early Christian community, where I think the society is becoming more and more like our own, right? That's That society wasn't a Christian community. I'm not sure if our society is really a Christian community either any longer. But I think of, um, of how power was exercised in the Gospels, maybe in the Acts of the Apostles, and then with those early kind of believers. You know, we talk about the um, the ultimate power in the Gospels is, is the... Um, Jesus being willing to allow himself to die for those that he served, right? So I think by the world's standards, willingly taking up death on a cross would be a mockery or a joke, right? To paraphrase uh, the epistles. But for us, it's this great gesture of love. Or I look at, you know, guys like uh, St. Paul, who, you know, was either beaten up or in prison for most of his kind of evangelical career, but still kept doing what he did because it was the right thing to do. As someone who's worked both in the church world and now more in the secular world, one of the challenges that I've gotten in that sphere is that my Christian understanding of self-sacrifice or be willing to take a beating or like people, you know, sometimes when you're doing conflict mediation, people, because they can't yell at each other, they'll yell at you instead. (laughs) Is that sometimes um, I've gotten the feedback that I, might be enabling abuse Mm. or or the fact that even as a woman that i stay in the church that you're you're letting yourself be abused and that that's not a healthy model to be putting out there for young people um and sometimes i'm not entirely always sure how to respond to that out of kind of your theology of embracing powerlessness in the midst of holding power. I don't know if that's anything that's similar to what people have told you or if you've had, if you've wrestled with that as well. I think sometimes if we choose to stand with the powerless people or with the voiceless or those on the margins, we will inevitably need to deal with the injustices in the institution that we call our own. And I think we have two choices. We can either choose to leave or we can choose to stay and work for reform. You know, that reflection that's attributed to Oscar Romero that I think is actually from Ken Huttner, you know, that when we, we plant seeds, then we, we might not ever see what the harvest looks like. Or that is it the Chinese adage where, you know, wise is the man that plants a tree uh, whose shade he will never sit under. You know, so I, I kind of hope that's some of the stuff that power allows me to do. You're almost the first guy that I've asked the questions to. And I myself, I tend not to like to dichotomize between how men and women think about these things. Um, Do you think, though, that there are different ways that men are socialized toward power than women? Because I've tended to think it's kind of equal across the board. The potential abuses are similar across the board. Socialized differently. You know, I think uh, power and vulnerability, you know, I think would kind of be considered almost like a dichotomous pairing of words. But I think we don't often talk about power and vulnerability being kind of synonymous, unless we're looking maybe at at the Lord on the cross or the willingness to lay down one's life for one's friends or the willingness to lay down, you know, one's outer garments to wash the feet of a neighbor. But I think that men, maybe more so than women, are taught from a young age about the importance of being 
strong and uh, not crying and not letting people see a flinch and always kind of being tough. I think there's more of um, maybe there's more of a willingness or more of an appreciation of uh, vulnerability with women than with guys. And I think sometimes, you know, in particular with her own faith community, I think sometimes, and I could be wrong, for women to have their voice heard in the church, they often need to be really assertive, which sometimes appears as aggression, or maybe sometimes read as aggression. And with men, it would be you'd be considered confident, albeit a little cocky. No, yeah. I really, I really appreciate you speaking about what the struggles that you particularly have with it. Because I think the thing that I find most difficult is is feeling powerless. Like the, and just because it's on my mind right now, like you know, sitting in the hospital off and on since Thursday night, there is nothing I can do to get this guy's kids and he's to work, you know? And he's like, am I really sick? I'm like, dude, you could have died on the streets. Like if we hadn't found you, you wouldn't be here right now. And then I think I just want to fix it. And then I think you've been struggling with addiction for 15 years and I can't fix you. Like I really want to, but I can't. And that kind of sense of vulnerability or um, to be without power is tough because I think so often... I know that if I work a little bit harder, I stay up a little bit later, get up a little bit earlier, that sometimes that can affect things. But in, in some situations, can't do anything at all, right? But I can be present, which is also a way of exercising power. Yeah, and that, that there's multiple, one of the things I've also been looking at is multiple different forms of power. Some of the power comes with the role. Some of it might come from places, being in places in society that are privileged, like you're talking about being white or whatever. Yeah. But, a lot of power, I think, also comes from authenticity. Yeah. Um, yeah. The capacity to remain in really ugly situations like that one. I mean, like those are also forms of power. Um, and everybody has some of them. And I do wonder for the, from the experience of men, whether sometimes that incapacity to fix things or even the language of impotence, which is such a male experience. I do wonder for women, whether maybe part of it is like we're socialized so much earlier not to like, like my inability to fix things is more of a given. I don't know how to describe that. Mm. Like that's been the experience from much, much, I don't, uh, you know, like that you're raised, you're socialized in that direction, that there's not a lot you can do about things from mm. there. And that, I think it like, that's been the hurdle to come over in the other direction. Yeah. The serenity prayer, right. Where you're praying for the gift of discernment, knowing what things you can fix and what things you can't fix. That's, that's something I'm coming to appreciate more and more. I mean, it was, you know, probably the first mantra that I learned when I came into uh, recovery, but it's funny how often it, it's, it's um, spilling out into other areas of my life as well. Well, thank you for the gift of yourself this hour. <laughs> I'm so grateful. And especially when you've got so many things that are on your plate that are pulling you in a thousand directions. Um, the fact that you would spend an hour with me means a lot. <laughs>